0: over my message the Lord took me to the book of Galatians and began to give me the next several weeks worth of messages and uh, the Lord began to, he asked me a question I sat down and I just I was going to go over this and I heard the Lord say what does freedom look like what does freedom even look like and, uh, and so he just began I mean before I got up I had 10 pages of notes and an average sermon is three so y'all are in for it and uh, but the Lord you know listen We got, well, I don't want to, can I just put out a teaser? We can be as free as we want to be, but we need to know we're not as free as we ought to be. Because if we believe we're already arrived, then we'll quit pressing. And there was a time when the Lord spoke to the Pharisees, those who had loosely attached themselves to him, a group, a particular group, they had loosely attached themselves to him. It's kind of like they weren't fully formed, but they weren't exactly opposed to them. And the Lord told them, he said, if you continue in my word, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And they responded as if the Lord had insulted them. And they said, we have never been enslaved by any man. And we're not slaves now. It's amazing, and I'll get into this next week, but they ignored all of their history. They forgot about the Chaldeans. They forgot about the Babylonians. They forgot about the Egyptians. And somehow they overlooked the Romans that were walking around even then. And they said, we've not been enslaved to any man ever. They rejected freedom because they thought they were already free. And so next week we're going to get into what does God have in mind when in Galatians he says it was for freedom that Christ set you free. See, a lot of us, we got the idea it was for heaven that Christ set us free. So we're willing to endure hell as long as we know heaven's on the horizon. But he didn't set us free for heaven. He set us free for freedom. We'll get into that next week. So this week, I want you to go to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. I'm going to read you a few verses out of a story that you know very, very well. 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verse 4. And I'm going to read through to uh, verse 10. Verse 4, Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Goth, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was clothed with scale armor which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now, of course, depending upon who you read after, he was approximately 10 feet tall. His breastplate, which would normally weigh about 5 pounds on an average soldier, his weighed somewhere between 150 and 200 pounds. That was his breastplate. The shaft of his spear... Well, He also had on bronze greaves on his leg and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels, about 15 pounds compared to the average half pound. So this guy was impressive. You all following me? His shield carrier also walked before him. His shield, they estimate, was probably six and a half to seven feet high. I mean, if you're 10 feet, it's got to cover something. Right? He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Verse 10. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, what I want to say to you is this. Of all of the weapons this dude had, which were frightening, I mean, to see a man that big. And then, of course, if he had a helmet on with the feathers, he probably appeared to be about 12 feet tall. That big, that massive, his spear that big, and... His sword, they say the sword that David would in a few minutes use to cut off his head, probably weighed about 20 pounds compared to the average 2 pounds. So everything about this guy was frightening, but that's, that's the key word. His greatest weapon was not his javelin, not his sword, not his shield, not his helmet, not his breastplate, his words. He terrified Israel with appearance and with words. Then we're going to jump down to verse 23. And as he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Goth, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from before him and were greatly afraid. Now let's jump down to verse 51, same chapter. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword. Now, you know, I'm skipping the part y'all know, right? I mean, this, there, this, of all of the stories in the Bible, this is the one story it seems everybody knows. Yeah. They write leadership books about it that don't even believe the Bible. Everyone knows David and Goliath. Yes, then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Then the Philistines saw that their champion, everyone say champion, was dead. They fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley into the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along the way to Sheriam, even to Gath, and to Ekron. The sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Today what I want to ask you is... Is he your champion? Because the story here is of champions. And what we need to understand is the citizens of Israel won, though they never entered into the fight. Selah, I'm going to let this sink in for a little bit. They won, but they didn't fight. They plundered without struggle. Because David was their champion. They lived vicariously, now everyone say I'm listening, they lived vicariously through the victory of another. Now David, over and over again, is a prototype, an example, a forerunner of Christ. There's a great many parallels between David and the Messiah, which is why the Messiah is called the son of? So when we read the story of David, we can see the parallels in David's life to our time and to Christ. Many of us don't know that David had his own tabernacle. In David's time, there were two tabernacles. There was the tabernacle of the law. That was the tabernacle of Moses. That's not the one we read about. They entered his gates with thanksgiving and they entered his courts with praise. That was the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of the law you had to enter in in a certain way and only certain people could go in. The tabernacle of David was open to whomsoever will. And when you entered it, you entered it with praise and thanksgiving. No matter what your background was, you didn't have to be a Levite. David lived in a time of law but lived as though grace already was. So David stands in history, as an example of the Messiah. And one of the greatest examples that David gives us of the Messiah was he became the champion of Israel. Israel won and never lifted a sword. Is he your champion? Is he my champion? Let's jump down to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. The Bible says this, but thanks be to God who gives, everyone say gives, not gave, not will give. See, we got to understand something. The Bible is a very special book. There ain't nothing about it that's haphazard. Preachers may often make mistakes in referring to it, but the Bible has no mistakes. Everything in it is purposeful and on purpose. This is the reason why if we are a workman who studies, we need not be ashamed because we'll understand what the Bible says, rightly dividing it. When the Bible says gives, it's not gave. In fact, if you'll research this word, is this okay this morning? Because see, what we got to understand is also Christianity ain't historical. It's present day. He's the same yesterday. Today and forever everything he ever did he still does if he'll find a people who will believe you see one of the things that I want to get to today and I that just want to hammer this into each and every one of us me included he he wants us to live supernatural lives when we live supernatural lives we're not bound by natural law we're not bound by genetics and ancestors, and all these other things. We're not bound by what the... We're not limited by the things that limit ordinary people. But we can never live supernatural lives thinking natural thoughts. Because as a man thinketh, so is he. And it's possible for you to be completely free, but live enslaved. Because there's a spiritual side of life, Some old writers would call it the legal side, right? Legally, you're just like Jesus. Legally, you're anointed. Some of you don't even realize how anointed you is. But the Bible says that you know you are anointed with the anointing of the Holy One. That's not a second-rate, secondary, cheap knockoff. You're anointed with the anointing of Jesus. But if you don't... Appreciate and acknowledge that you'll never enter into it. So there's a spiritual side of life where everything is as it ought to be. That everything God needs to do in order to make you everything he dreamed you would be, he's already done. But then there's an experiential side of life. And the experiential side of life is this part we walk out step by step, level by level, glory to glory. One freedom to the next freedom right and so we need to understand that he gave us a victory at the cross but he gives us victory every day this word in the greek is a present active Uh didymo and it literally means it's present and it's active it's not inactive it's a Active victory but like Everything that has to do with the kingdom We've got to get it by faith yes, sir. Yes. Come on. Y'all following me yes, sir. Now I want to I want to this isn't really a rabbit It's a side thought I want to Come back to this verse but I do When I was writing this out yesterday I had this side thought Do you suppose when David woke up that morning He had any inkling, an unction, an understanding, a prophetic dream that this would be the day of days. You see, this is the day a shepherd became a legend. This was the day when David would have his breakthrough that would put him on the direct path to the throne. This was the day. But I don't believe that when David woke up that day, he had any inkling this would be the day. Now, my question to you is this. What if David had been too haughty, too arrogant, to say, don't you understand, Daddy, that just in chapter 16, I was anointed by the prophet to be the king. And now you're asking me to deliver bread and cheese? Don't you know I'm the king? Yes. Come on, brother. Come on, now listen, I can't tell you how many people I've known over the years who have become unteachable because they received a prophetic word. Amen. Arrogant narcissists who wouldn't do anything. What do you mean serve in the church? Don't you know I'm anointed to be a prophet to the nations? I've heard it. I've had them tell me that. I'm anointed to be the next Joyce Myers well yada yada good for you but you ain't yet so would you clean the toilet and they won't do it now this is what I want to ask you And this is just a side thought do you suppose David would have missed his destiny had his arrogance got in the way if he had told his daddy daddy that's a menial task get a servant to do that I'm something special I'm anointed for great things But David had no such arrogance. Uh And when his daddy said, would you take this to your brothers who didn't even like David? David did not protest. He did not talk about the prophecy. He didn't. Daddy, daddy. This is chapter 17. Verse 16. No, David just grabbed the cart and went. And that, listen to me, that menial task brought him toe-to-toe with his destiny. And what I want to say, just as a side thought, please do not miss your destiny because you're not willing to do the routine or the menial. You're not willing to serve others even if they don't necessarily applaud you. If you're willing to serve, God will bring you into great places. But if you begin to believe your own advertising and you won't serve one another in love, I'm going to tell you straight up, you may may miss it. You may even forfeit your destiny. David wasn't arrogant, so David didn't miss it. That's just a side thought. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God who gives us. Now present active, meaning that it was it is and it will be tomorrow. You'll never, listen, you in Christ will never enter into a day of defeat. When you know who you are in him and who He is in you, you'll never know defeat another day in your life, because defeat is not part of your experience. Struggles yes, battles yes. Fights yes, but victory. All the time. Y'all follow me? But here's one of the keys, is we have to understand it's not by might. It's always by His Spirit. It's not going to be by the strength of your arm. If you and I get to the place, and I'm going to share a story with you in just a bit that reveals how quickly we can try to be our own champions and how much that works out for us. But if you want to try to make it with your own willpower and your own intellect and how smart you are and how hard you work and have at it, have at it. And another five, 10 years, I'm going to catch up to you and I'm going to say, how'd that work out for you? Because see, God can do more for you in one day of favor than you'll be able to do in a lifetime of labor. So what you and I need to do is always acknowledge him as our champion. He's the one who went front and ahead of us and fought the battle. And I live victoriously, not because I win, but because he won. Listen, the victory was won when David struck down Goliath. That's the past tense. But the victory was won when they plundered the enemy's camp. Present tense. Everyone say victory. The victory was won when Christ died on the cross. But the victory is won when we wake up in the morning and plunder the enemy's camp. When we take back by faith everything that's been lost... Everything that's been stolen, everything that's been taken from us, nothing missing, nothing broken, shalom you all. When we recognize, realize, and to call him our champion, he will fight the battles for us. And in, in all of the history, it's okay this morning, in all of the history of Israel, do you know they never lost a battle when they obeyed? The only time they ever lost is when they disobeyed. Can I say this to you? It's always okay with them who obey. It's always okay with them who obey. Hallelujah, Father. Listen to this. Your enemy knows, well, go to to Exodus chapter 14, verse 14. Years ago, we used to sing a song. I don't know if we still sing it anywhere. I haven't heard it in a while. At least I don't think I have. Cleve will probably say, Pastor, we sang that today. (laughs) We used to sing a song, if I hold my peace and let the Lord fight my battles, victory, oh, victory shall be mine. That's based off of this verse in Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, that says this, reading it to you out of the Amplified. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace and remain at rest. You see, God every day, God, God is anything he ever was. Amen. Say that, man. And the Lord can be to you, for you, and through you, anything he's ever revealed himself to be. But he can't be anything in you, to you, or for you that you don't believe him to be. Selah. Our lack of belief doesn't diminish him. For those who do not believe that Jesus is the healer, That doesn't diminish his healing capacity. It just diminishes their ability to receive the blessing of healing. You understand what I'm saying? For those who do not believe he's the provider, that does not make him a non-provider. It just means they'll never receive the abundant provision that can come only from him. God can be anything he's ever revealed himself to be. But he can only be what we believe him to be. Has the Bible ever declared him to be a warrior? Absolutely. The Bible actually says he is a mighty warrior. He's a valiant warrior. He can be the warrior you need. Because he has revealed himself to be a warrior. And I want to tell you, he's good. He ain't never lost a battle. But he cannot be the warrior you need if you don't believe him to be that. If you're trusting in your own strength, he'll let you. If you're trusting in your own intellect, he'll let you. There is a way that seems right unto a man. And sometimes when we're struggling, the way that seems right is I got to work harder. I got to ignore my wife and my children and get a third job. I got to work until I die at an early age because I got to overcome this. How's that over? How's that working for you? Day by day and night by night, he'll give us the victory if we let him be our champion. And the enemy knows that as long as you're in the arena of faith, he can't win. I want to say that again. The devil knows better than you and I do. As long as we stay in the arena of faith, he can't win. I mean, the battle might stretch on a little while, but you will outlast your persecution. By your perseverance, as long as you stay in faith, he can't win. This is the reason why that diabolical, damnable creature called Satan will do anything he can to get you out of faith. He'll make you emotional. He'll make you mental. He'll get you into any arena, and doesn't much matter what arena he gets you in. Yeah, I tell you what, I'm gonna pull over and beat the snot out of that guy. Yeah, you just made it physical. I tell you what, I'm going to outwit the devil on this one. All I got to do is think about it. I got to figure. It doesn't matter what arena. If it's not the faith arena, you will lose. So he'll work to get you into any arena he can. He'll push all the right buttons just to get you out of faith. Years ago, when my wife and I served as missionaries... Our weakest link in our chain was always our stateside office but you had to have a stateside office because sending letters and making phone calls from Europe especially at that time when we lived in Poland a phone call whether we were making it or receiving it was four dollars a minute so when somebody called to tell me about their dog and I'm paying four dollars a minute to hear about a puppy Yeah, yeah, he's got four legs and fur. I'm sure he's pretty. Bye. (laughs) We had to have a stateside office, but the stateside office was always our weakest point. One day we received a phone call from our home church that was pastored by our spiritual father. And, and they said, Daddy said, you're to bring your office here so we can take care of it for you. We're going to bring everything here. We're going to hire you as secretary and we'll take care of everything because we want you to be able to focus on the nation. So bring your office here and we'll take care of it for you. I remember thinking, pray to Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. And so we move our office there not knowing what we were getting into. And sure enough, they hired us a secretary. Who never secretaried for us because then over the course of the next year we we would typically come back once a year and when we came back the the first place we showed up to preach I remember I'll always remember because we heard it every church we went to when we did our circuit they'd come up to us and say are you no longer on the mission field and we would be like yeah that's kind of an odd question yes we're on the mission field why well we haven't received your teaching letter in months And the last six checks that we've sent you have never been cashed. We're like, wow, that's really weird. I'll look into that. Go to the next church and hear the same thing. Go to the next church and hear the same thing. By the time we heard it several times, we knew something's wrong. And so we get back to our home church and we find out there's piles of unopened mail, checks that had never been cashed, bills that had never been paid, letters that had never been read. They totally forgot about us. And when we asked about it, they were like, well, we got a ministry too. We can't watch your stuff and watch our stuff. And I mean, bills, credit cards charged off. And we lived on our credit cards because as we went from nation to nation, is this okay? I'm just, As we went from nation to nation, we had to use our credit cards rather than going and getting cash at a very high exchange rate. And some of our credit cards had gotten charged off. We had great credit when we left, and now we had no credit because they had ruined it. And, and, and I remember, I'll always remember, we were staying at a friend's house in that particular city, and my wife and I were talking about it, and she cried because of the betrayal. You understand? And there's something inside of me that when she cries, there's an old country song that says, that'll get you on the fighting side of me. When she cries, I go into beast mode. I'm looking for somebody to hurt. Right? Because I love this woman. And when she cried, I told her, I, I raised my hand like this. And the reason I know it is God showed me later on. I raised my hand like this and I said, I will get us out of this. I will fix this. Because I'm a man. And I think it was about a year later because he I, I know I need to hurt. But I want you to understand we were never big name preachers. But God had so blessed us, I never begged for a place to preach. All I ever had to do was make a phone call and say, hey, I'm going to be back in the States between this time and this time, and our calendar was always filled instantly. It was so gratifying when other people had to beg and beg and beg, and all we had to do was say, we're going to be there. And these churches never turned me down until this year. Suddenly, every time I picked up the phone and said, hey, listen, we're going to come back to the States. I know we haven't been out of the country a year, but we're going to come back to the States. Well, man, Brother Jimmy, I love you, but that just won't work for us. And month turned into month. I couldn't book a meeting for nothing. And after a certain period of time, I think it was about a year, right? God still met all of our needs. I don't even know how he did it. We would get money from unexpected places. People that I never heard of would send us money directly to Poland. And after about a year, my wife looked at me and she said, I thought you were going to fix this. And then I went downstairs to our international headquarters, which was a converted cow pen. Yes, in Poland, they put the cows in the basement of the house. And since we didn't have any cows, I made that the international headquarters of Jimmy Miller Ministries. So I went down to my cow pen and I prayed and I said, God, I don't understand. We're still in the same situation. And in a moment of time, I'm still talking about, is he your champion? God transported me back in time and across the ocean. And in my heart, I saw myself standing in that driveway with my finger, not raised up in rebellion, but saying, I will fix this. I'll do it. 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 And it was as if I heard the Lord say, so how's this working for you? You never asked. And here's where I missed it, y'all. I'm on the mission field. I'm a minister. I'm running across the nations, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, trusting in myself. I never one time brought that situation to my champion. I never one time brought that to the Lord and said, Lord, I don't know what to do. Would you do this for me? I had thought I could do it because after all, I never lacked a place to preach. I was one of these gifted ministers who all I had to do was show up and they'd give me the pulpit. They had done it in times past. I walked in, I wasn't even scheduled. The next thing you know, I'm preaching. But when you rely on the arms of the flesh and grace is not operating in your life, I'm telling you, you're not nearly as gifted as you think you are. Because even the things you think you do, that's the grace of God. You just ain't giving him the credit for it. You think you're the one that figured it out and you don't know in a dream of the night, he dropped that into your soul. So I trusted, but I also discovered at that moment, you know how long it takes to repent? Bam. It don't take long. It's not a process. It didn't take me six months. I said, I'm sorry, I'm a bonehead. Boom, I changed this. And just like that, in a matter of moments, God fixed it. I mean, it might have been that day. I got a call from another place that said, you know what? God's really been dealing with us to take care of this for you. I couldn't fix it in a year of labor. God fixed it in a moment of favor. So the question today is, saints of God, is he your champion? Or are you trying to get ahead on your own? Are you trying to overcome on your own? Are you trying to get that free through the the strength of your arms? Or are you going to make him your champion? I got to hurry up. Let's go to the book of Psalms. Chapter 20. You see, before we read this, Psalms 20, you know what the enemy did to me? He got me in the emotional realm because I saw her tears. And when I got over into the emotional realm, he whipped my butt. Can I say that in church? I guess I just did. But if we stay in faith, hold our peace, and let the Lord fight our battles. One translation Of Exodus 14 says that the Lord will fight for us. We remain silent. And what that literally means is this. Don't lose that peace. Don't lose that tranquility. And don't go off at the mouth declaring what you're going to do. Hold your peace. Stay silent. Don't don't make self declarations of what you're going to do as if you can overcome this. Always make him your champion. Stay in that peace place of restful faith of knowing that the Lord's already taking care of this I don't see how he's going to do it I don't know how he's going to do it but I know I've got a champion that's greater than David I know I've got a champion that's the greatest of all time and all I've got to do is turn it over to my champion and I can live vicariously through his victory but it takes faith listen to this psalm 20 verse 7 and 8 reading it to you out of the new living translation some nations boast of their chariots and horses some people boast of their 401ks and their mbas but we boast in the name of the lord our god can i can i say something to you It doesn't matter what you're trusting in If it's not him It's prone to failure It doesn't matter what you're trusting in Chariots break down, horses die 401ks disappear And businesses close And the government you're trusting to meet all of your needs They can get voted out the next cycle Some boast in chariots Others boast in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord, our God. Verse 8, those nations will fall down and collapse. What nations? Those who are trusting in things other than God. But we will rise up and stand firm. Let's go to Exodus chapter 23, verse 22. I need to hurry it up a little bit. Listen to this. But if you truly obey His voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. God's not requiring of you perfection don't give in to condemnation if you're striving for perfection you'll always end up in a place of condemnation It's not about perfection. It's about devotion Meaning you will miss it, but if your heart is fully his he counts that as obedience Even if you misstep your heart is his he counts that as obedience because your heart is always his the enemy will point out you made a mistake. You made a boo-boo. You sinned over here. If your heart is his, God doesn't reckon that as unrighteousness. And he said right here, and this is Old Testament. If you read the book of Hebrews, we're partakers of a better covenant. So if under the Old Covenant he said, listen, if your heart is mine and you listen to my words and you do your best to obey, then don't worry about a thing, Because all of those who make themselves your enemies... I'll become their enemy. And those who make themselves your adversary, I'll be their adversary. See, this is the reason why you and I can pray for those who despitefully use us. Because if they make themselves our enemy, they don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Because you think you're fighting this little white boy. You ain't fighting this little bald-headed white boy you're fighting jehovah you're fighting the king of kings you're fighting the lord of lords you're fighting one who's got white hair gold skin and stands as tall as infant i understand what i'm saying he said i'll be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries that's the reason why i say it'll always be okay if you hey he'll be your champion Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you. I love this. Listen to this. To fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. The Lord your God is the one who goes with you. And he goes with you not to observe, but to fight for you. He's not passive, he's active. He goes with you so he can fight for you. And it doesn't matter what you're fighting. Are you fighting health issues? He goes with you to fight for you. Are you fighting financial woes? He goes with you to fight for you. Are you fighting other people who are standing in your way? He goes with you to fight For you. And then when he fights for you, he turns around and gives you the victory. This is the reason why the Bible says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Psalm 44, verses 5 and 8 through 8. Through you. Say lot it's not a sign of weakness to trust in him It's not a sign of weakness to say I'm not gonna fight them he is All I'm gonna do is listen with the intent to obey whatever he tells me to do Because all I've got to do is obey and then I can rest knowing it'll be okay Hmm I said throughout the Old Testament, the people of God always lost when they trusted in themselves. In 2 Samuel, you may remember, David was convinced to take a census of his fighting troops. And the Bible says the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. Why? Because he was taking a census to figure out how strong he was. Well, let's bring that into the modern day era. Do you look at your bank account? Now, pastor, you're just meddling right now. Do you look at your bank account to determine how stable your life is? Because I'm telling you, as someone who's had to learn this the hard way, if you trust in anything but him, it'll fail. You trust in a spiritual father, they can fail you. You trust in a church, they can fail you. You trust in a group of people, they can betray you. You trust in a couple. You trust in the company, they can go bankrupt. Yes. But if you trust in the one who never changes, yes. if you trust in the one in whom there is no variableness, no shadow of turning, and one who's never lost, then you'll never fall. That's right. That's right. But we have to, day by day, lean in, not into our Is this okay? Yes. Lean not into our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct our steps. Yes. Every day, Jesus, I call you my champion. Yes. You're my champion. You're the one fighting for me. Yes. That's a declaration of faith. Right. Just like I'd call him my healer. Just like I'd call him my Savior. Huh? I want him to be my champion. Yes. Yeah. Come on. That's good, man. That's good. Hallelujah, Father. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 22. The Bible says, do not fear them, whoever them is. And every one of us have them in our lives. You have them. They is the ones who oppose you. They are the ones who do everything they can to keep you down. To make sure your faith doesn't grow too big. Make sure your dreams don't come to pass. They judge you based upon all kinds of things that they can see with their eyes. Do not fear them. For the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. The question is, listen to this. Are we wrestling or resting? Are we trying to win or enjoying the victory? Remember Goliath, his greatest weapon was fear. But one thing that we got to remember is every soldier in that camp was circumcised. Meaning they were partakers of the same covenant David had. The only thing that set David apart is he had faith, not fear. That's the only thing that set him apart. He wasn't bigger, stronger, better trained, he just had faith. Hmm. Okay, I was just seeing if I wanted to say this. They seemed, all the other soldiers seemed to have forgotten their covenant. And instead of winning, they were figuring what they were going to do about Goliath. War, warfare, army, and soldier are all words found in the Bible, even in the New Testament. But I want you to hear this. But in the New Testament, when the scripture speaks of war or warfare, it never mentions the devil or demons. I want to say that again, because sometimes we think what we're battling is outside us. In the New Testament, when the Bible speaks of war or warfare, it's internal. The battlefield is your mind. And when you win the battlefield of your mind, he becomes your champion externally. You don't have to fight the devil. The devil's already defeated. Can I meddle just a little bit? Jesus said, Occupy till I come. He didn't say fight until I come. He didn't say struggle till I come. He didn't say get put down till I come. He didn't say be defeated till I come. He said, Occupy till I come. We are an army, but we're not a fighting army. We're a standing army. We're an occupying army. And our job as an occupying army is to enforce the victory that's already been won trying to win nothing he already won it all now as an occupying army we're saying no more we're not giving you an inch of ground because it's already been won by our champion we're not giving into disease because it's already been won by our champion we're not giving into poverty because it's already been won by our champion hallelujah father everyone say occupy 1 Timothy, I am hurrying up. We ought to take our stand on the word. We take our stand on the word. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith. Let me pause. How did Paul tell Timothy to fight a good fight? Keeping faith. Keeping faith. How do you fight to win? Keep faith. And a good conscience. Now, scholars will tell us, listen to this, that Timothy's good conscience was based on the fact that he never abdicated faith. Because how do I tell you to have faith when I abdicated it? Wait, We're having a medal right now. See, this is the problem some pastors are having in relaunching their church. They advocated in the face of a pandemic. Now they want to get back into it and tell you how faith never loses. I know, it just went quiet on me right there. But see, this is what Paul told Timothy, never abdicate faith. It doesn't matter what the enemy, it doesn't matter what the foe, it doesn't matter what you come up against. If you'll stay in the faith, your conscience will always be good. And then when you stand up and you tell people, keep the faith, you did. Yeah. Amen. And that's the good fight of faith. Yeah. Pastor, you shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry, forgive me. Which some, let's finish this verse have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. All right, let's keep going. 2 Kings, is this okay? 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14. Pastor, you're giving us a whole lot of verses. What's different than any other Sunday? He sent horses... We had had some visitors on Easter, and they told me as they were walking out, they said, we ain't been in a church like this that's preached that much word. I wanted to say, what kind of church are you going to? You sure gave us a lot of Bible today. Well, your faith needs to stand on the word of God, not the charisma of a man. You know, pithy one-liners and things that I got from Google and other preachers ain't going to build your faith. The only thing that's going to build your faith is the word of God. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Oh my God, what are we going to do? That's my modern day paraphrase. Verse 16, so he answered, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, I pray, open his eyes. Now, I want to stop right here because we are bringing this to a close. The problem was his eyes. He freaked out because of what he saw. Right? I mean, his problem was his eyes. He looked and he saw a great army and chariots. And he freaked out. Oh, my God. You can almost picture him running in, spilling coffee all over the place. Man of God, we're surrounded. And the man of God says, don't freak out. And then he prayed, Lord, open his eyes. Here's the thing. He wasn't seeing what he ought to see. He was seeing the enemy instead of his God. See, the problem with some of us, we're looking at our future with the wrong set of eyes. Instead of eyes of faith, we're looking at it with eyes of fear. And we're thinking, well, we're never going to get through because of they're doing this and they're doing that. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. But I'm telling you what, in the days to come, we better learn how to trust in our God. We need to learn how to trust in our God. Because when this falters, when mountains come crumbling down and and, and things begin to fall apart, we're standing on a rock that is immovable and unshakable and invulnerable. And when our trust is in him, it doesn't matter what we see because our eyes have been opened to see that I've got a champion who fights for me and he ain't never lost. And it doesn't matter who arrays themselves against us. So the prophet said, Lord, open up his eyes. Hebrews chapter 12, you don't need to turn there, but it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. See your champion, the author and the perfecter of faith. Let me read that same verse to you out of Hebrews chapter 12, verse two out of the Passion Translation. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze unto Jesus who birth faith within us, and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. Now let's go back to 2 Kings, verse 17. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, open up his eyes. And the Lord opened up the servant's eyes, a new set of eyes. And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. I'm going to say it again and we'll bring this to a close. You cannot live supernatural lives with natural thinking. We can't live a kingdom life and think carnally. You can't trust in the things of the natural and enter into the supernatural. This is the reason why the Bible says we've got to renew our minds. At some point, we've got to think totally kingdom. And the thinking totally kingdom will make you weird because you'll do things that make no sense. When you have a need, you'll sow. That makes no sense. When you have a need, you're supposed to save. But when you're in the kingdom, you don't do natural things. You do supernatural things. If you read through the life of Jesus Christ, show me how he did ordinary things. When he had to pay taxes, he sent Peter fishing. How's that ordinary? When a man needed healing, he spit in the dirt. How's that normal? It's just got to be a shift. It's got to be okay. What's the supernatural response to this natural situation? And when God gives you a supernatural response, you overcome the natural. That's the reason why we call it supernatural. Because God adds his super to the natural. And I don't know about you, but I would rather live a super natural life than a natural life. Because a natural life has limitations. A supernatural life has no limitations. Mm. Is he your champion? today as we close here's my prayer that your eyes will be opened to see beyond what you've been seeing to see your champion seated at the right hand of God victorious over everything that heavenly champion is your champion and through him who loves you you overwhelmingly conquer in every situation at all times Nothing can defeat us because Jesus is our champion. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Go ahead, give the Lord. Give Him all the praise. I want to ask our prayer team to come forward. And here's, I want a a very special prayer request. This morning is this. If you're weary. If you're weary. Sometimes you think pastor. I'm not in physical pain. So I don't need to come up. I'm already saved. I don't need to come up. But the question this morning is. Are you weary. And heavy laden. Meaning do you feel like you're under it. If that's you. I want to ask you to step out of your seats. And to come forward. Because you don't need to be weary and heavy laden because jesus said if you're weary and heavy laden come and i'll give you rest and years ago i preached it i want to preach it again but i can't find my notes god is at his best when you're at rest when you're anxious and worried i can can just give me just 30 seconds when you're anxious and you're worried and you're frustrated it's hard to hear the voice of God it just is but when you can get into a place of rest you'll be surprised how quickly he wants to speak to you and so I want to say it again this morning if you're weary and I know you're here because the Lord laid it upon my heart don't sit there and let your arrogance I don't want anyone to know I'm struggling that's pride This ain't about condemnation. Ain't none of us going to look at you and say, well, I ain't up there getting prayed for. If you're weary, come up here. And we'll join our faith with yours. And that burden that's weighing you down will be removed. Because he promised it would. He'll give you rest. So, Father, we lift our hands to you. We thank you for a now word. Father, that's what this word today was. It was a now word for your church to once again look to you to be our champion Father we can't overcome all of the things that are arrayed against us and in the natural defeat is certain But, Father, in the spirit, victory's already won, and you've already defeated the devil. Death itself has already bowed the knee. There is no more sting. And so, Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for overwhelming, overcoming, nonstop victory in our lives. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name that every person, whether in-house or watching us online, be encouraged, be strengthened, be edified, Look to Jesus. He has never failed, and he will not fail you in the days to come. Cast your eyes upon him and see how quickly he turns that situation around for you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And once again, these people aren't up here just because they're the best looking of the bunch. They want to pray for you, so come on up here if you need prayer this morning. God bless you.